superheroes have sort of made a resurgence over the last, I don't know, five or ten years. Not that they ever went away, like superheroes were always popular. Uh, but the, the new Marvel, DC, Justice League, all, all those, those new movies that have come out has sort of raised the interest level in superheroes. Uh, again, more movies are scheduled to come out. Thor has a new movie coming out uh, in November. My, my wife likes those for some reason. I'm not sure why, but she's really interested in that one. Um, Justice League is coming out in November. Six Flags opened a new Justice League ride this year. It's pretty cool. If you haven't ridden it, you should ride it. Um, so uh, this whole new market, uh, this whole new interest in superheroes and and we love superheroes because of their courage and um, their superpowers, and and mostly they're they're bent toward justice and and good versus evil and and good winning and the, those sort of things. We we love those stories, and we even like a, a little flaw in our superheroes, right? A little kryptonite is good. It kind of adds to the drama and to the intrigue and to the interest and adventure of our superhero stories. Um, I, I think for most of us, though, we don't like too much weakness in our, our superhero. You know, a little anger issue in Hulk is okay, but you know, like, we don't want too, too many weaknesses because uh, they're supposed to be the prototype. Like They're the models. Like They're what, what, what we're all shooting for. That's not the case um, when it comes to real-life heroes because real-life heroes have strength and courage and, and, and goodness to them. But because they're real people, they also have some fairly staggering weaknesses sometimes. Uh, they don't always make the right decision. They don't always do the right thing. And we see this historically, right? Some of, some of our great heroes of history, uh, we know. You dig around in the, the backstory of their life and, and you know, there's some not so great moments in their life. Sometimes we have trouble... Uh, reading the, the characters of the Bible as real people. Uh, one is because they, they lived so long ago. They really read years ago, some of them. And so it's just hard for us to read this as really, really real. We, we sometimes read them as kind of two-dimensional movie screen type, type characters. It's hard for us to even put ourselves in that culture. Like, what was it really like 2,000 years ago, I, I prayed about it. So some of us were, out, were without power for like 48 hours, and, and we barely made it. Survive. Like that. We're proud that we made it through those two days without power. It's, it's hard to think about what was it like 2,000, 3,000 years ago. It's just total, everything's totally different. So sometimes it's hard to read the Bible as real people, but that's one of the cool things about the Bible is it, it paints even the, the heroes, even like the 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 heroes of the faith as real people with real flaws and real struggles and sometimes with real disasters. And it tells us these were great things about their life and, and these were disasters in their life. That is true of the person that we're going to study over the next five or six weeks. And some of you know his story fairly well and some of you know bits and pieces and some of you don't know his story at all and that's fine. It's, it's a guy by the name of David... Um, big character in the Old Testament who did some truly amazing, incredible, awesome things and also created some really huge disasters in his life as well. And we're going to be honest about all of those 
as we walk through his story. I, I, I thought I would get us situated chronologically, so I brought this timeline for you for David. You see that, that David comes along about 500 years after Moses, so children of God leave Egypt, they wander in the wilderness, they come to the promised land. That story happens about 500 years before David. And then the prophets come along after David, Jeremiah and Isaiah, and stories like Nehemiah and Esther, they all happen well after David. And Jesus comes along about a thousand years after David. So there's, that's where David takes place chronologically, 500 years after Moses, a thousand years before Jesus. And we have this story of, of David. Now, to understand the story of David, we kind of have to get a running start a little bit historically. God puts together a people, a nation. They're called the Hebrew children, then they're called Israel. Uh, these are God's people, and He organizes the whole thing, and, and God organizes them not under a king or a president or a pharaoh like Egypt. God organized the nation so that they would operate under Him. And he would speak to them through priests or through prophets or what sometimes we call judges. That's that all the other nations had a government. This is the way things operated for hundreds of years uh, under God, speaking through priests and prophets until one day the nation of Israel decided, we want us a king. We want a president. We want Congress and House Representatives and Senate. We want a government. We want a person at the top, which, you know, we live thousands of years later, and we would all say, why in the world do you want a government? Like, you are crazy. Just if you could only see our government, you wouldn't want that. I'm telling you. So they want a president, a king, a leader, really for two reasons. One is because the priest at the time, sort of the spokesperson for God as David comes along, is a guy by the name of Samuel. And here's what you need to know about Samuel. Samuel's a great guy, awesome. He's got this really cool story himself, but he's just an awesome guy. He's very wise. Uh, he's very courageous. He's committed to God. He loves God with all his heart. Just super, absolute, awesome guy. But he, maybe he's like some people that you know. His kids are awful. Like his sons are terrible. Now, like, here's just a, a warning, not that you're not doing it right now, but you don't want to make eye contact with anybody in the next few minutes, okay? Stay focused up here. Don't cut your eyes at anybody. Do you know people like that? Like, like they're, they're like great people, and you, you think, man, we could really hang out, but I could not be around their kids because their kids are awful. Again, don't look at anybody. Don't even look at your spouse. Because we'll know that you think of somebody that way. But I mean, we all have those people, right? And we have that conversation at home with our spouse. Like, they are really great people. How, why are their kids so awful? Right? Don't look at anybody. That's sort of the situation with Samuel. Great guy. Awesome guy. Loves God. His kids are bums. Like, his sons are awful. And the nation of Israel, and, and I can't really blame them here. They're going, like, we like you, Samuel, but your, your sons are going to step into your role, and they're terrible, and we don't want that. Give us a king. Give us anybody but your sons. So that's one reason this thing's going on. They're asking for a king. And the other one is because they want to be like everybody else. Like, everybody else has a king, so we want one. 
Everybody else is doing it, so we want to do it. Like We want to be like all the other nations. So there's these two things that are going on in the nation of Israel. And here's how it reads. This is 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's. And the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So there they are, awful kids. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. There's the two reasons. We don't trust your sons. We want to be like everybody else. Give us a king. And they say this over and over again. Your sons are bums. We want to be like everybody else. Give us a king. And Samuel's a little offended by it. You know, his parents get offended when you talk about their kids. Samuel's a little defensive. But he also knows this isn't what God wants. Like this is not how God has set up our nation to operate. So he warns them. He says, look, if you get a king, it is not going to go well for you. Because it's not what God wants. And so I'm just warning you before we do this, you are not going to like it when you get a king. It's not going to be this great, wonderful thing that you think it is. You don't want, they keep saying, we don't want your sons. We want to be like everybody else. Give us a king. And so God finally says, have it your way. It's like Burger King, right? If that's what you want, have it your way. You can, you can do it. And so this is what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. Kish had a son named Saul. Saul's going to be the king. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. I don't know what being tall has to do with it. But nonetheless, if you look up king in the dictionary, this guy's picture is there. Like, there's salt. Like, this looks like the guy. He has everything you could possibly want from the outside. This is absolutely what a leader looks like. This is what a king should look look like. He's going to be great. He wins the beauty contest. Like, this is the guy that you want, and they get him. They get this guy, and it doesn't go well. It doesn't turn out the way they thought, which provides some caution for all of us. And before we even get to David, there's, there's some caution already in this story. What everybody else wants. When we want to be like everybody else. We should be careful with that. Um, when you were a kid, your parents said the same thing that mine did. Whenever I told them that I was going to do something and everybody else was doing it, they, they always said... If your friends jump off a bridge, are you going to jump off one too, right? I don't know. How high is the bridge? Sounds fun. I don't know. This, This idea of be careful wanting what everybody else wants, it goes back thousands of years. Because thousands of years ago, there's a whole nation, and they just want to be like everybody else. Be really careful. When your motivation is, I just want to fit in, I don't want to make waves, I just want to be like everybody else is, everybody else thinks, everybody else is on that side. We live at a time, we, we, we live in a culture 
where there is tremendous pressure to adopt certain views of certain issues, certain subjects. Like there was this pressure that, like, you can't have another opinion. This is the, the opinion that everybody needs to adopt. There's tremendous pressure in our society to just go along, to just adopt it, to just go the way everybody else is going to be really, really careful. Be, be really careful. Because we can get, as Paul would say in the New Testament, we can get squeezed into a mold that is more of this world than is of Jesus. Be careful. When you want to be like everybody else, when you want to not make waves, I don't want to stir up anything, I don't want to get noticed, I don't want to object, be really careful. Because most of the time, often, God calls us to be quite different. God calls us to be unique. God calls us to see things the way He sees them. Be careful when you want to be like everybody else. Another caution. Be careful when you want what God doesn't want. And obviously that sounds like something the preacher would say, right? But be careful. When you're going after, you're determined to get something that God is very clearly says, you don't need that. I'm going to give that a no. That's a thou shalt not. Be very careful when your drive and your goals and your direction is to get something that God has clearly said, you don't need that. You really don't want that. That is not going to turn out the way you think that it's going to turn out because we have this, we have this ability to rationalize those things in our life. On the one hand... We, we convince ourselves that the thing that we want must be what God wants us to have because we want it. Right? We, we project our wants and our desires onto God because, after all, God wants me to be happy. Like God wants me to have what I want to have, except very often, I mean, if we're really following after God, he steps in and says, you know, you're really wanting the wrong things. Let me, let me show you what you should be wanting. You're going after the things that are going to eventually destroy you. The other thing we do is we justify why this particular thing that I want, I know that God has said not to, but, but my circumstances are unique. Like, if you understood my circumstances, I think God would give me a pass. I think God would be okay with me pursuing this, even though he's really clear that I shouldn't pursue this. Be careful when you want what God doesn't want. Another caution. Be careful when you want what God wants, but you want it when God doesn't want you to have it. Be careful when maybe it's a good want. Maybe it's a good thing, but for whatever reason, God has said, not now. This isn't the time for that. Sometimes that happens just individually, kind of our personal life directions. Sometimes God's very clear about it in His Word. Look, hey, this is a good thing within these boundaries. This is a great thing within this context, within this type of relationship, within this time frame. This is a good thing, but don't try to get a good thing at the wrong time, God would say. Be careful when you want something in a timing that God doesn't want. We sometimes leave this part out of the story 
God knew that Israel was going to have a king all along. God planned for Israel to have a king all along. You go back 500 years to the time of Moses. In Deuteronomy 17, God says to Moses, look, one day Israel's going to have a king. And this is the kind of king I want them to have. One day Israel's going to have a king, and this is what I want that king to do. I want him to read the law. I want him to know my word. All of these things. 500 years before they choose Saul, God already planned for them to have a king. He just didn't plan on Saul being the one. That was not his choice. That was not his timing. And the nation of Israel got ahead of God and said, no, we want it now. Isn't that the way we tend to operate? Don't most of us operate by the rule of I want what I want when I want it, and when I want it is usually now or yesterday. Like I want it now, I want it now. And God would have said to the nation of Israel, no, slow down, slow down. This, this, isn't, this isn't the guy. This isn't going to go well. Wait for my timing and things will go so much better for you. But they don't want to wait. And so God gives them Saul, who's a disaster, and he's their king for 42 years. It's not like he got in and six months later they impeached him and threw him out. 42 years. See, when we run ahead of God, when we want what God wants, or when we want what God wants but not in His timing, there are often long-term consequences to that. And there's forgiveness and grace. Yes, that message is true, absolutely. But when we run out ahead of God, when we start wanting what God doesn't want, there can be long-term regret and consequences and relational carnage because we just didn't obey. We, we didn't follow what God really wanted. So finally, God steps into this situation and says, all right, you got the guy that you wanted. You got the tall, good-looking one. Now, I'm going to pick the guy that I want. And he sends Samuel, the priest is still around, he sends Samuel to the town of Bethlehem. And, and most of us know Bethlehem from the Christmas story, right? Oh, little town of Bethlehem, the Christmas carol. By the way, Christmas is in 99 days. Not that I'm counting, but 99 days from today is Christmas. So if you haven't already made out your Christmas list, you might want to get on that. Um, Samuel goes to Bethlehem and meets this guy named Jesse. He's a dad. He has a bunch of sons. And God says, all right, in Jesse's house is where you're going to find the king that I want. Here's the story in 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel and his party, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And this is such a key piece of information as we get started in the study of David. God doesn't see people and circumstances the way we see people and circumstances. He just doesn't evaluate them the same way. He doesn't look at the same stuff that we look at. He doesn't get distracted by the things that we get distracted by. Because we get distracted by the exterior, what's on the outside what someone can do for us, our measure of success, how well-spoken they are, how successful they are. We, we get distracted by what's on the outside. It's college football season. For most of you, uh, 
mine ended yesterday, but for most of you, um, it's college football season. It's going to be here for a while. College football analysts, they use this phrase, maybe you've heard it, maybe not. Um, they use this phrase sometimes, talking about a team, and they will say, they pass the getting off the bus test. They pass the getting off the bus test, which they don't mean they can step down off the bus and not fall down. What they mean is, when, when that team gets off the bus, they look big and strong and athletic, like they look like they could really play ball. They pass the getting off the bus test. The problem, of course, with the getting off the bus test is getting off the bus is not the same as actually playing the game. So you can be fooled sometimes by the, by the getting off the bus test. Our struggle is we are a society of getting off the bus test people. Like we make snap judgments about people. Are they the right one? Do they look the right way? Do they hang with the right crowd? Do they fit in the right context? We are very, very much a getting off the bus type of people. But when God looked at David, he wasn't looking at the exterior. He was looking at the heart. And David is described as someone after God's own heart. In other words, there was something going on on the inside of David that far outweighed anything you could see on the outside. So Samuel comes in and says, Eliab, got to be Eliab. I mean, he looks the part, getting off the bus test, and God says, not him. Go to the next one. Not him. Go to the next one. Not him. Seven sons that Jesse lines up in front of Samuel. And Samuel thinks they look great. And every time God says, no, 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 no. Until finally, Jesse remembers one other son. Didn't even call him to the house. So unlikely was this son to be king that Jesse didn't even call him to the house. He's like still out tending the sheep. And Samuel says, well, wait, go get him. We'll stand here. We'll stare at each other. We're going to wait till he gets back. He walks in, and God says, that's him. That's him. He's the guy. Doesn't look like the guy. You didn't expect him to be the guy. That's the guy. I wonder how many kings and queens we overlook because we can't get past the exterior. Like, how many people who truly walk with God, that God has, has given unique abilities and ministry potential that we just overlook because we can't get past the eye test. We can't get past all of the exterior evaluations that, we've, and that have become so common in our society. God says it's not any of that. It's what's going on in the heart and, and not just with people, but with our circumstances too. Because we evaluate circumstances by the exterior. We evaluate circumstances about, by how difficult, how much I enjoy it. What, is, this, is this helping me? Is this, is this good for me? And a lot of times we fail to ask, but what's God doing through this? What's God doing in this? What's happening in the middle of this that maybe I don't see clearly, but I know God is at work? We do this sometimes with our prayers. We pray something to God, and in our mind, we've already figured out what the answer is going to look like. 
Like, God, if you answer this prayer, it'll look just like this. And I'm all for praying specific prayers. Like, get detailed in your prayers. Absolutely. But sometimes we pray prayers, and we've already decided this is what it will look like for God to answer that prayer. And maybe God doesn't answer with Eliab. Maybe it's not the tall one. Maybe it's not the one that we thought it was going to be. That doesn't mean that God isn't answering. That doesn't mean that God isn't at work. And it's possible that we're missing God's work and His miracles and His movement and His direction because we're waiting for Eliab to walk through the door. And God's not working that way. And God's not answering that way. Here's an interesting part of the story at this point. Samuel, in his home, in in Jesse's home, anoints David to be the next king. You know what David does next? After being told, you're the new king, you're the next king, you're going to be anointed king, David goes back to the sheep fields. Like David goes right back to what he was doing and starts doing it again. You know what the day after David got anointed looked like? The same way the day before David got anointed looked. The exact same thing. He did the exact same things. He he didn't go down to the palace and say, all right, I'm here. I'd like the throne now. I need to be fitted for a crown. I'd like to pick out some different draperies. These aren't my color. None of that. David's anointed the next king. He knows God's at work. Doesn't know what the next step is. He goes right back to what he'd been doing. He goes back to the same environment. He goes back to the same circumstances. Just because circumstances haven't changed doesn't mean God isn't at work. Sometimes that's what we think. Well, God, if you were working, you would have fixed this. This would all be different. This would change. Maybe God's at work in the circumstances where you are. You just don't see it yet. And what God called David to do and what God sometimes calls us to do is to keep showing up and keep being responsible and keep being faithful and keep having integrity and and, and continue to walk with God in front of other people where we are in our current circumstances. David goes right back. And not only to be faithful in our current circumstances, but pay attention in our current circumstances. Pay attention. Because God has us there for a reason. God is teaching us something there, even though the circumstances haven't changed. What happens next, this is the end of chapter 16. Saul, we find out, is not just a a leader with problems. He's a person with problems. He's a person with emotional problems. He has sort of these crazy fits at times. And somebody in the palace says, here's what we need. We need somebody that can come play music whenever Saul goes crazy. They can kind of play some smooth jazz, kind of soothe things down, talk him off the ledge, kind of get him calmed down. Is there anybody that can play music whenever Saul goes crazy? And one of the servants says, yeah, there's this guy named David. We have no idea how this servant knows David. The Bible doesn't tell us. No clue what the connection was. The Bible just says, somehow this guy knew about David. He says, there's this guy in the, in the sheep fields. He's a great musician. Let's bring him in. Whenever Saul goes crazy, he plays smooth jazz, and Saul will calm down. And that's exactly what happens. David's showing up in the sheep fields every day, and he doesn't know there's a conversation going on in the palace about him that's eventually going to get him to the palace. 
Just because circumstances haven't changed yet, it doesn't mean God's not at work. It doesn't mean God's not maneuvering. Here's the great thing about God. God always knows where you are and always knows how to find you. It doesn't always feel that way when you're in the middle of a circumstance that you want changed. It doesn't always feel, matter of fact, you and I have prayed this prayer, haven't we? God, do you know, are you watching all of this? All of us, whether we've said it out loud, we've felt it, right? You, if you've lived long enough, you've had that moment of, God, what is going on? God always knows where you are. And God always knows how to find you. They call for David and David moves into the palace. Now remember, David doesn't know how to be a king. He's a shepherd. His whole family's shepherds. He didn't know how to be a king. He didn't know how to live in the palace. So God, who knew where David was and knew how to find him, moves David into the position of being a servant in the palace where he can watch everything that's going on in the palace. He can start figuring out, oh, so this is how things work here. So this is what the king does. So this is what a day looks like in the palace. God knows how to position us for where he's taking us. God knows how to position us for where he's taking us. It's just that we don't always recognize it as that. We we don't always see it as, oh, well, God's got me here because he's going to take me there because we don't always know where there is. But what we can always know is that God is able to position us for where he's taking us. Just a shepherd, just watching in the palace, because one day he's going to be king. One day he's going to be sitting in that chair. One day he's going to be making those decisions. And, and I'm not suggesting that we should just be passive all the time. I, I'm not suggesting we should just, oh, I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm just, just waiting on his time. I'm just going to sit here. I'm not suggesting that we should be passive all the time. All I'm trying to say here is whatever circumstances you're in, God hasn't forgotten you. And he can use elements in that circumstance to get you ready for the next one. He can get you ready for where he's taking you, even if you're not where you want to be right now. David understood that the season he was in over here was preparing him for the season that he was about to enter. We see this in chapter 17, if you keep reading the story. Really familiar story, some of you know it. David and Goliath, he's fighting the giant. When he's trying to convince Saul to let him go and fight Goliath, one of his arguments is, when I was a shepherd, I fought lions and bears. Like, I, I took care of the sheep. Like, I, I'm ready for the giant because of what I experienced and what I, what I learned in the last environment that I, that I was in. God got him ready for what was coming in chapter 17 by what God was doing in chapter 16. So don't waste the experience you have now because you're wishing for different experiences tomorrow. Don't waste what God's trying to teach you right now. Because here's the truth. The, the lions and the bears in your current situation become the giants in your next situation. God's not wasting that experience that you're having. Again, I'm not saying be passive. I'm not saying seek God's direction for is it time to move? Is it time to go on? All I'm saying is while you're there, God is doing something and teaching you something and growing you in ways that you're going to need at the next place. 
the lion and the bear, where you are, is going to become the giant in the next place where you end up. And the reason this is so important is because I think there's so much at stake here. There's so much at stake when we get frustrated in our current situation and we stop listening and we stop learning and we stop growing. Our heart begins to get hard and callous. There's so much at stake because what's happening in this season is getting us ready for the next season. And again, I've been there. Right? I've been there too. I've been in the God, get me out of here now stage multiple times in my life. God, please don't make me stay here any longer. I, I have been there just like you have, but I also know through all of those experiences, every time I was learning something that I was going to need at the next place, and I was going to need at the next place, every time that happened. You say it this way. If we aren't listening, learning, and growing in the season we're in, we won't be ready for the season that's coming. If we aren't listening, learning, and growing in the season that we're in, we won't be ready for the season that's coming. At least not as ready as God wants us to be. If David had not been faithful as a shepherd boy, he wouldn't have been ready for the valley when he faced Goliath. That's why you can't turn God off. You, you, you can't become hardened in the season that you're in because he's trying to get you ready for the next one. And sometimes we're so anxious to get out of the sheep field and to the palace that we don't learn the lessons we're supposed to learn in the sheep field. Right? And I've prayed that prayer too, by the way. Right? Like we've all prayed that God, whatever I'm supposed to learn, I'll learn it today. Just let me get out of here. Right? We've all prayed that, please teach me fast so I can get out of here. It's just that God doesn't work that way. God works in us showing up every day in the sheep field and every day being faithful and every day having a heart for him and being in love with him and every day asking, God, what, what am I supposed to be learning? How am I supposed to be growing? How do I become more like you? How do I become more like Jesus so that when the season changes, I'm ready for that new season in my life? God can position you for where he's going to take you. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. Those of you who are in those difficult circumstances, I want you to pray two things, right? Here's what I encourage you to pray. Pray the God get me out prayer, all right? That's, it's fine to pray that prayer. God, I, I don't want to be here forever. I, I don't know what you have. I, I, I pray that I'm able to move on. God, get me out. It's okay to pray that prayer. But follow that prayer with, God, help me learn and grow in this season so I'm ready for the next season. Let's pray. God, thank you for vivid stories of great heroes. And thank you for reminding us through the life of David that wherever we find ourselves, if we're walking faithfully, if we're walking in obedience, wherever we find ourselves, there's growth and there's learning. Growth and learning that are going to serve us in the next season. God, thank you that you are able to position us for where you're going to take us. Help us to learn. Help us to grow. Help us to seek you in whatever environment we find ourselves now. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.